I mean, you you talked with uh, uh, Robert yeah, Atkins, didn't you? I was uh, involved with Robert Atkins in the USDA nutrition debate of the century. Yeah. And um, I knew Robert Atkins. I actually had him on my radio show twice. Yes. I asked to be on his radio show, and he said, no, but you'll confuse my listeners. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Delgado. I'm with Dr. John McDougall, my absolute favorite physician in the world of all time. You wrote a book, McDougall's Medicine, A Second Opinion. At that time, uh, I had already been working with Nathan Pritikin, and I read that book, and it came out about what year? That was about 1986. Yeah. It was so well referenced. You, you documented liver disease, cancer, it starts 20 years early. I mean, Everything was there, and it still is. It hasn't changed, no, it, right? It's been almost 40 years, and nothing's changed. You know, what I did is I showed, uh, first of all, I showed <clears throat> that the current treatment of chronic disease fails. Yes. And I showed the studies that we've done. I mean, the practice of medicine is so different from what the research findings are. Most of the research findings, particularly if you know how to read the research, are uh, very consistent with the truth. And, uh, you know, the problem is, is people are taught uh, completely different. Uh, so one thing I had to do, which I did in the book, McDougall's Medicine and Challenge Second Opinion, is that I, I showed that we have studied our treatments for cancer and heart disease and diabetes, and our research, established research, shows that it doesn't work. So yeah, I felt you had to do that first for patients so they won't, won't keep relying on the hope that someday somebody will miraculously cure them or the uh, braggadocia that the medical profession offers to the patients, they would believe that it really would offer the results they were looking for. So that's why I wrote that book to show that it doesn't work, we've studied it thoroughly, the literature is consistent, it's just nobody talks about it. So I, I, that was the basis of that book. And then I went on and told why these are dietary diseases and what limited research has been done, because there's no profit in it. What limited research has been done to show that you could cure most of these chronic diseases by stopping the poisoning of the person with unhealthy foods, which are animal products and free oils and processed foods. I absolutely enjoyed your talk here at uh, VegFest and you know I, I, I know that it's a tough message for people to hear but it's the truth and they need to hear it and they need to hear it consistently from someone as credible as you who has really basically unwavered since your early hypothesis discovery and understanding and appreciation of what Nathan Pritikin had yep. started and I, I think that you know John you're your approach, um, by the way, the, that the one cookbook with all the pictures in it, it, it just made everything so come to life. I'm like, I want to eat that. This is good stuff. And even the slides you're showing, you know, people could still go get veggie sushi, right? They can get, uh, you know, things at restaurants. And I eat out a lot, but I'm, I'm ordering always along the side of the right. menu, right? right? Off menu, if you will, because you just got to if you're on the go. But at the same time, there's one thing I do every day, and I pack my food of fresh fruits and vegetables and beans and rice to take with me every single day, every day I go to work, because I can't trust what's out there. Well, fortunately, the body's tough. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, as long as you keep the main principles. Yes. An occasional lapse, uh, most people can put up with. You know, some of my patients are so sick, an occasional lapse will put them in the hospital. But most of us can, you know, you really need, I, I think it's important people really need to understand what the right foods are and what foods are making them sick. And then they should be able to, in a, they should be able to make their own choices. But they can't now because they have so much mis misinformation. Even though they want to be thin, they want to look good, smell good, live long, avoid disease. I mean, they all want that. It's just they don't know how to do it because the message has been so confused, primarily by industry, you know, for obvious business reasons. They've wanted to teach people foods that they would buy, even though they made them sick. I mean, if this is anything else, uh, they would not allow it on the market. I mean, if you put out a new product that was guaranteed to cause constipation within days, that was uh, guaranteed to give you a heart attack or cancer within years, no one would approve it. But because it's been around for a long time, it kind of got grandfathered in. <laughs> it's acceptable. I, I love your early story, how you as a physician practicing in Hawaii, right. you have the Japanese farmer coming in, he's maybe established his life, he's maybe retiring from work in Japan and he's taking a younger bride in, in Hawaii, right. and she's 20, 30 years old, he's 65, yep. whatever it is. I and thought he, that would inspire a person your he, age. And he knew he would live long enough yeah. to see his kids and plus, grandkids. Plus the organs are functioning well enough. Everything's functioning. To have grandkids. Highly functional. Yeah, that was one of the impressive things. I was a sugar plantation doctor right after my internship. Yes. And I took care of first, second, third, and fourth generation Filipinos, Japanese, Chinese, and Koreans. And uh, my first generation living on rice and vegetables had basically none of these diseases. The... Um, That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Mary. Yeah, I'm doing the room next door. Okay, I'll be, I'm just right next to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so I, I, I'm taking care of, thank you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, so I had this uh, plantation experience where I was taking care of first, second, third, and fourth generation Filipinos, Japanese, and, and Koreans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, most notable to me was the fact that my first generation were always thin, typically live into their 80s and 90s, were hardworking. I mean, this is what I expected to see. And then I also expected to see their kids and grandkids fatter and sicker to the point where they got, in some cases, on average, sicker and fatter than the general American population. Yeah. So I saw this uh, 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 observation, this data, I mean, facts that it wasn't genetics. It wasn't the kind of work they were doing. It was the food that they were eating. And it opened my eyes, uh, my plantation experience. But the story that you particularly liked is one that I like to tell too. A, uh, <clears throat> a custom mm -hmm. uh, among the Filipinos that all Hawaiian residents know about is that the uh, older Filipino gentleman who work hard his whole life, yeah. save his money, have a good retirement check from the plantation, mm -hmm. and at age 70 or so, would go to the Philippines and essentially buy a 20-year-old bride. Yes. And so every day into my office came this elderly gentleman, young bride, and three or four kids. And I would go, you know, the neighbor <laughs> must be helping out. 
<laughs> he's got some, something. And uh, no, not only did this guy produce the kids, but he expected to see them grow up. That's right. And, uh, you know, all of us men and women would like to have that kind of yeah. sexual power. Yes. And abilities to function for that long. But Nathan Pritikin brought up the early studies in the Korean War. You mentioned Koreans at age 22 dying in action. And then the Vietnam War got worse, age 22 dying in action. And they had serious cardiovascular disease. The American and, soldiers. Yes. Not the Koreans. No. Not the Japanese. <laughs> I'm glad you corrected that. And, and more than that, the early disease often starts because the arterial supply to the male organ, the penis, is a very small blood vessel. And oftentimes they'll have ED, which is rampant in our country, before they get that first chest pain, or worse, that first heart attack right. at their last uh, sign of the disease, right? Yeah, well, you know, um, it may be more stimulating for people to see the cigarette ad put out by the anti-smoking industry that shows the limp cigarette in the guy's mouth. They may be more impressed by that than the reality of dropping dead of a heart attack at age 50. Yeah. So, you know, whatever you can do to convince people it's worthwhile. If we, have to go, if we have to go below the belt, we have to go below the belt. But that cigarette ad was con conclusive because, or convincing, I remember Nathan Pritikin talked about the carbon monoxide from the cigarette decrease the oxygen and smokers often have more wrinkles because of the decreased oxygen around their face and more than that they do have accelerated atherosclerosis because the limited oxygen to their arterial uh, capillary beds and so forth but it's really a high fat diet that also compounds that because there is this asian paradox right the japanese tend to smoke to a degree but they don't about 60% seem, smoke they don't seem to have as high incidence of cardiovascular disease partly because it's a rice starch well, vegetable it's, diet it's because cigarettes are a minor contributor to yes. the problem but they're the one that has been totally emphasized yes. throughout all of my career and food has been completely ignored Whereas the truth of the matter is that probably as many non-smokers dropped out of heart attacks as smokers. No. Well, so, there, there was a study by Jeremiah Stamler that Pritikin talked about out of Chicago, and he looked at people's cholesterol level and their diet, and he compared it to smokers, yeah, and there was no correlation to the smoking, but the highest correlation was high cholesterol yeah. and their high cholesterol animal-based diet. That was the Western Electric Study. Yeah. Yeah. We love to s source studies, right? It's, it's, it's just, it's in our blood, right? Yeah. So anyway, but the story sm smoking is obviously not good for people. No, but there is the example of, of hamburgers or the way they're cooked and it's equal to 20 cigarettes and carcinogenic property, yeah. right? I don't know. I, I mean, the immediate effects are bad enough. <laughs> exactly. What I love too is you have these, and I'm not sure what you call them, but the testimonials, the McDougal, your fans. Yeah, that we call them Star McDougalers. Star McDougalers. Yeah. I love it. And do some of them come on the cruise ship with you? Do you still do the cruise? Do. We don't do the cruise. Up? We haven't for the last couple of years. We yeah. may start again. Okay. These would be adventure trips. Not all of them are aboard ship, but they're at a resort. And uh, we may do that again. But yeah, there we, we've been at this. I've been doing this only for 40 years. So I've had people just at this conference come up to me, I mean, a dozen, come up to me and said, I started following you 25 years ago. Yeah. Or I heard yeah. you on the radio 30 years ago, and I want you to know I lost 100 pounds and you've changed my life. You can't, I can't tell you how good it feels 
to have people give you that kind of appreciation. Yes. That not only did you help them lose weight, you know, for the next week or get ready for the summer vacation, but you changed their life. Yes. And uh, it's been a very rewarding career. I'm the luckiest doctor in the world. You are. And, you know, the goal, of course, is our children, our grandchildren, and we have a tough battle ahead of us. You and I know this. Yeah, we do. And unfortunately, unfortunately, people are about a half a century behind. Yeah. And uh, we knew about this climate change thing 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. And we clearly knew it 40 years ago. The effect of carbon dioxide on our climate, and this would result in extinction. We knew this. But it's taken 40 years for uh, understanding the world to come to a point where uh, I'm no longer ahead of my time, nor are the other people who recognized this a long time ago. I think everybody, almost everybody, thinking and reading and watching what's going on, understands that we are in big trouble. But it hasn't come to the level of understanding where anybody's willing to take action because it really is not affecting them personally on a daily basis. You know, uh, all those people 2,000 miles away that lost their homes in the wildfire, or those 5,000 miles away that lost their homes in the hurricane. Uh, it's just not intimate enough, threatening enough, to turn our beliefs into actions. Yeah. But I have to say, at this day and age, the world has come to the same point that I did a long time ago. That the interaction between the livestock industry and the environment is one that is just devastating. And, uh, but now we have to get people to the point where their beliefs are sincere enough that they turn into actions. And unfortunately, I am afraid that's gonna happen long past the time of, uh, of no return. Dr. McDougall, I think both you and Dr. Mc, uh, Michael, uh, Gregor, who uh, Gregor was interviewed with Joseph Mercola. I'm not sure. Did you ever appear no, no. with Mer Mercola? They talked about infectious diseases, and it was the only thing that got his attention that an animal-based diet is potentially a risk for these rather yeah. nasty microbes. Yeah, like sixty thousand cases of food poisoning a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and the cancer viruses and. Yeah, leukemia. I mean, yeah. you, you, I never forgot. There, in one of your books, you talked about chimpanzees, and it was the first time that a virus had been proven to transmit leukemia yeah. from animal to from dairy Different to species, the animal, yeah. the species. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know. But that was one study done. They'll never do it again. They took six young chimpanzees, fed them cow's milk, yeah, which is infected with leukemia viruses almost always, and uh, two died within a year of leukemia. Wow. Yeah, but they will never do that study again. And some <laughs> people poo-poo the older studies. Uh, I know there's a big onslaught and the keto people attacking Anacel Keys and saying, well, he wasn't a doctor and he wasn't credible and so yeah. forth. But, you know, he was just another guy reviewing the studies. I'm not sure, you know, what the efficacy there is. But those studies were well done, oh. heavily funded. Right. Uh, what, how could you deny Barnes doing international well, atherosclerotic project and autopsies on 10,000 people around the world and correlating to their cholesterol and the animal-based diet and narrowed arteries, right? I mean, these studies exist in autopsy. I, 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 I don't. Psychology not being my business. I don't understand why they're are still global warming deniers and you know, I, there are always going to be people who disagree uh, 
hopefully we get to a point where the people who are telling the truth cause the rest to live the truth. Hopefully. Yeah, I have a pretty good background in psychology and I just realized that people have programs that they've all been raised with and it's been an agenda and not getting into conspiracy stuff, but this is how all of our kids and the prior generations have been raised. So, you know, at some point we have to catch their attention and, and teach them that we can be fit, we can be strong, we can get all the vitamins and minerals. I love one of the slides you showed and you were talking about how fish oil has something special, but the omegas come from the algae in, in, in a plant-based type organism. So people can understand that we can get the essential fatty acids on a plant-based whole foods diet. Yep. Yeah, tell the truth. Probably the, <clears throat> the most dishonest nutrient out there is protein. Uh, if you go to the store, the main marketing uh, efforts on various foods, probably most of the foods that are marketing with individual nutrients is the nutrient protein. Uh, it seems to sell. But protein is very dangerous, and it's one of the most uh, uh, incorrectly uh, talked about subjects that there is. And the idea that you can't get complete proteins from vegetables leads people to keep eating the animal food diet. So, um, you know, the truth needs to be told. We can start with protein. We are eating far more protein than we need. It's causing serious diseases all the way from our immune system to our bones. And it is causing people to eat more animals. Yes. Because they uh, equivalent protein with eating animals. Yes. And so, it, uh, you know, the overall problem of focusing on this one nutrient is that people are eating more livestock, which is causing more poor health and obesity, which is destroying the planet. So if we had to focus on one nutrient, one. if we just took one little bit of misinformation out there and were able to correct it, it would be the protein myth. You asked me actually to speak about the myth about protein at your event, yeah. your weekend event. And I took that very seriously and I combed through the literature as much as I could. It's a little hard to find the good studies because there's so much animal-based studies out there. But I found them and Pritikin had a history of stuff with Dr. Lee and Dr. Reddy and children and looking at, you know, uh, starch-based foods, giving them all the essential amino acids. But there, there was one fact that seems to be a little obscure and, and, and I'm not sure, you know, who else references it. But the intestines slough off 30 grams of protein, but also the body recycles all of the enzymes, which is another 150 grams of quality protein. In fact, you pointed out, and at least to Walter Kempner, that 20 grams of protein added, so long as sufficient calories are present, is enough to put a person in positive nitrogen balance. Because what? 20 grams plus the 30 from the intestines, 150 from the enzymes. That's 200 grams of protein. Who needs more protein than that? That's one cup of beans, right? Well, it's a complete myth. There's never been a case of protein deficiency ever. Quashakor because well, they were starving, yeah. but Mashamore, well, the, the two, actually Mashamore is the starvation. Quashakor, yeah, is, is, is believed to be a mythical protein right. deficiency, it's, it's, which it's, doesn't it's, exist. It's just terminology. They're all due to starvation. None of them are due to eating eating foods that have less protein than a human being needs. It's all due to total food deprivation. Pritikin always talked about the New Guinea sweet potato eaters. Yeah. The lowest fat, he said 3% fat, 
3% protein, 90%, 96% complex carbohydrates. And these people, he showed picture of muscular and strong. They could run up trees, you right. know, grab themselves up. And he said, there's no examples of protein deficiency in these people. Now there could be famine times, which they're at risk, Yet these individuals, they I think they measured 777 of them, not one case of diabetes, ex except the American cook who showed up oh. and was eating the American food, was diabetic. And eating sweet potatoes, people go, well, wait a minute, that's starch. How can we live off that? Yeah, but as you point out, these were New Guinea Highlanders who yes. fought battles and did athletic competitions. And, you know, they did, they've done real well, avoided a heart disease and breast cancer and so on. I love your slide, the barley eaters, the Roman gladiators. Yeah. Who better than the greatest battling nation in the world? I mean, yeah. combat with iron, steel, right, swords. And they were barley eaters. They were essentially plant-based. They, they were vegan. Vegan, yeah. And that They wouldn't allow them any animal food because the people who owned the gladiators wanted them to win. <laughs> the animal foods would slow them down. Yeah, really. Physically, mentally. Just like you, you wouldn't take your racehorse at the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby and feed him a hamburger. No. You're likely to lose the race. Exactly. <laughs> you know, well, I'm going to feed my champion racehorse burgers for the next <laughs> three weeks before the Kentucky Derby. Let's see what happens. Pritikin once stated, and, and let me see if you concur with this. He said, in order of the worst to the least, because you do a really good job of showing now people have made salt the scapegoat. But let's just say, he said that to, to battle chronic diseases, cholesterol would be the most important to reduce or avoid. And that means animal food. Right. Number two would be excess processed fats. Number three would be protein. Third would be... He literally rated as absolute worst. And then four might be, he, he implied, maybe sugar. Then further down the list, you know, uh, salt. And then further down the list, GMOs and toxins. Would you agree with that kind yeah. of order? Yeah, there is, except for the fact that Nathan Pritikin, uh, I believe, still wanted to maintain some likability. Yes, very true. Uh, I think based on what he knew and some of my conversations with him, that he believed a pure vegan diet, which I believe he followed. But I think to, this is my opinion now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for him to remain more socially acceptable, professionally acceptable, he allowed some low-fat dairy and a very little bit of meat in his diet to avoid criticism. But I think that's the only reason he did it, is for acceptance, not because it's the truth. I can add to that. Nan Bromfen wrote one of the scientific books that's rarely ever referenced, and she was one of his scientific researchers. And she was a big proponent of, if you read her book and study everything she said, essentially plant-based vegan, dairy-free, you don't need any of these things. But you're right. He was concerned about the general public mm -hmm. turning against him, saying, well, wait a minute. Don't take away my dairy. Give me non-fat dairy. And so he 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 conceded that. But we had a running joke at the Pritikin Longevity Center. He called it the regression diet. And if you could find the three ounces of meat or the one ounce or three ounces in the entire week, you'd win the prize. It was like virtually impossible to find it. We, you know, it was just the joke, right? But the dairy product, I cornered him, sat down with him, and I said, I said, Nathan, why do you drink non-fat milk? And he said, Well, you know, it's non-fat you know it's low cholesterol I said but Latins and certain people black 
we have a high degree of sensitivity to the milk proteins. It'll get us very sick. I had diarrhea for a year before I understood at the age of 12 and I read a book about, oh, it must be from milk and I gave it up. You know, the diarrhea went away. And he said, yeah, you're right. You really don't need the dairy product. And I said, well, would it be okay then to go completely dairy free? He said, absolutely. But I remember that discussion distinctly because well, I had that issue myself. And I said, Nathan, I, I, I really don't want to use the non well, At milk. the time I knew him, yeah. you of course had the fortune of knowing him much better. Yeah. But the few occasions we met, I got the impression that he pretty much ate the way I do. Yes. Which is no animal products at all. True, yeah. true. There's an interesting thing with Pritikin that sometimes he's criticized that he had a thyroid condition that they did a radiation treatment that caused hairy cell leukemia and he lived with it for years and it resurfaced and so people say oh you know he died you know and took his life and so forth but the reality is how long did he live with that condition right. he lived uh, a little over 20 years and most people die within 10 yes but you know he came in with a serious problem. Yes. He was uh, in his 40s when he discovered this kind of eating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of things you incur earlier in life that unfortunately set the future for you. Yeah, he had a cholesterol over 350 yeah, or something, yeah. I think it was, and coronary heart disease. Yeah. And then he let, met Lester Morrison from the Santa Barbara area, and apparently Lester Morrison influenced him quite a bit. Do you, oh, yeah. you know of Lester Morrison? I never had the pleasure of meeting him or talking with him. This book you mentioned that he liked so much from this lady, this researcher, do you have it? Yes, Nan Bronfen. Can yes. I get a copy of it? Absolutely. How do I do that? I'll either source if it's still available. I have it on my library. I'll see if I have a second copy. One way or the other, I'll get or you a copy. Or a PDF file or something? Yeah, I don't or, know if it's... Or send me her name and I can buy it? Yeah, I'll definitely uh, locate it. I, right. I, I met Nan Bronfen and she... In those days, you and I would go to the medical libraries, and he had a very extensive, nice library. Who did? Nathan. Really? Oh, very extensive medical journals, references, everything organized, amazing. Yeah. I'm not sure who inherited I got quite a bit of it. I got the stacks of his actual talks that referenced all the studies, but I, in Santa Barbara, Nan Bronfen would help him organize the journals and the studies. Yeah. Well, you are so fortunate to have had that experience. Oh, my gosh. And I was so young at the time. I was 22, 23. And he asked me to come in and work with him. And uh, it was this chance of a lifetime. Well, you know, there are only two men in my entire career that I could hardly wait till the next word came out of the mouth. And Nathan Pritikin was one of them. And who the other? Uh, Henry Heimlich. Oh, yes. the Heimlich Maneuver. Heimlich Maneuver. They're, they're the only two people that I, I just sat in silence and could just one more say anything. It's very true, very true. I did have the fortune to sit in on every talk he ever did um, that during the span I was there and him lecturing to his audience at the Pritikin Longevity Center. It was originally called the Longevity Center, became called the Pritikin Longevity Center. And, uh, and then he created the outpatient, which I was in charge of, the Pritikin Better Health Program classes. Oh, that, that, that failed, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, it did and it didn't. Uh, uh, the Weight Watchers uh, individuals invested a couple million, and then they spun off trying to do the foods, and they, they didn't quite pull that part off. So that was... Uh, well, we could talk about this. Yeah, yeah. 
But uh, this is Dr. Nick Delgado and John McDougall. Uh, we're just going down memory lane, but I got to tell you, this man is probably one of the most important doctors in the history of lifestyle medicine, which we now have something to call it lifestyle medicine, yeah, right? I suppose. In the day, it wasn't yeah, called that. I would rather people look at me as a conduit. Yes. Because I took an awful lot of um, recent ancient knowledge, and really ancient knowledge, and I was able to collect it and put it together in a palatable manner to, uh, to tell people, but I didn't invent this. No. You know, I, I wasn't given an original message from God or anything. But, uh, so I have to perform a vital function uh, about 40 years ago of being, you know, one of the few people, you being another one, who really understood the problems. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, they... Um, well, hopefully we'll do an event together in the near future, or at least now with mass media, we can just live broadcast. Right, okay. And uh, we, we're really at that place now where we're doing live daily broadcasts. And uh, I, I talked to you about coming on the show, and I, I saw you were speaking in my backyard. How about that? Yeah. It's 10 minutes from where I live. I love it. And you were the first person I said, I've got to go uh, see John. So I, I guess the point is, is there are a lot of people out there who uh, have these very special messages. Yes. You know, they, they want to be unique. And what they need to understand is that the program that you and I teach, yeah. that Nathan Pretty can taught and so on, is really traditional eating. Yes. You know, uh, it's something people have been doing for maybe millions of years. Yeah. Certainly 750,000 years. Yeah. Uh, this idea that we were hunter-gatherers in the past yeah. uh, is just practically, <coughs> from a practical point of view, it's unsustainable. No. You know, hunting is difficult to do. It's not a reliable food source. But the, uh, the issue is, is that we have a serious gender problem in the humans, human being. And that is that we talk about the glory of men who went out and shot the animals, hunter. Yes. As opposed to the gatherers, which were the women, children, and grandparents who stayed home and really got the food. Yes. So, you know, this whole hunter-gatherer idea is pretty silly. When the bulk of all calories of all human beings, except for those living on the extreme of the environment, like the Eskimos, yep. have come from starch. So, this is old knowledge. I've had a chance to put it together in a way to uh, communicate it with people that's been somewhat effective. Uh, but I'm just privileged to have had uh, all these pioneers in the past, which go back thousands of years, who have just opened their eyes and saw the truth, uh, which I hope we get a chance to do, is to get people's eyes to open so they can see the truth. That's very important. You, you mentioned um, the Eskimos, and, and I want you to ask Pritikin about a reference in his book, Live Longer Now. And he said, well, there was Hoffer and Leonard, which were two other author, authors that worked with him. And he said they had found a journal that in the mid Canadian area, that the, the Eskimos there ate uh, some kind of tundra or plant-based foods, and so they actually had uh, less than, I think it was 15% fat, very high fibrous, uh, you know, uh, plant-based diet, and they had a very low incidence of cardiovascular disease, but some of the studies got mixed in with the coastal Eskimos showing, you know, that they eat a lot of blubber and fat, and but they have a high rate of intradermal bleeding. They, they develop too much uh, the blood flows too quickly and whatever other and issues, right? terrible atherosclerosis, too. Yes. I mean, they, they did a 
a National Geographic article, I think it was 1987, <coughs> they uh, showed an archaeologic finding of two women in their 40s yeah. who were buried by an ice flow 500 years ago. And when they autopsied them, they found severe atherosclerosis 500 years ago. Wow. You know, not, nothing modern, no additives, no fake foods, no ice cream cones. Uh, that these two women had severe atherosclerosis. I think one was in their 20s, one was in their 40s. And they also had extensive osteoporosis, meaning all the fish protein or mammal protein. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they didn't avoid the diseases. The average lifespan of an Eskimo was 27 years. So th it wasn't a highly successful population. They were pretty primitive, let's say that. Pritikin always said that the Eskimos would eat the bones of the fish that they would catch, getting 2,000 milligrams yeah, of right. calcium a day, and yet they'd still have osteoporosis right. because of the negative calcium balance, the acidity of protein. Protein's a very toxic food, particularly from animal foods. It's extremely toxic, right? Yes. And we've known this. So the goal would be to help the audience get their protein intake down, preferably from plant-based foods as grown, that we get, believe well, it or not. What they need to do, they just need a simple truth. You don't have to worry about protein. It's the least likely nutrient to you for you to get too little of. You had a speaker at your event that was eating all potatoes. Oh, yeah. T tell me about Andrew the spud Taylor. man. Yeah. Andrew Taylor. He's from Australia. Yeah. He could figure out no other reason. You know, he had a lot of depression, psychological issues. Uh -huh. He really couldn't put his mind around anything complicated. So he heard me talk about how you can live on just potatoes. Uh -huh. And he went on an all-potato diet for more than a year. I think he's still on it. And uh, as a result, he lost over 100 pounds, got his health back, got his depression back, got his life back. Just on potatoes. And potatoes has about, what is it, 3 to 6% uh, protein, uh, maybe... Uh, well, they're, they're a little higher. They're actually about 8, 10 10%. 10%? Okay. Yeah, sweet potatoes go down to about six percent. Right, and the fat content of potatoes can be as low as one percent. Oh wow, that low. Yeah. So the rest is clearly uh, nearly ninety percent uh, carbohydrate, com and the rest complex 10 carbohydrates, ten percent protein. And I think, and we need like three percent of our diet is protein. Yeah, and I think uh, Pritikin brought this up. Fredrickson of NIH was probably the guy that caused the original confusion because he was saying carbohydrates elevated triglycerides but when Pritikin pulled up the original study he was showing that uh, the study was based on simple and complex carbohydrates they didn't separate the two and of course simple sugar carbohydrates are going to do something to elevate right. blood sugar and and triglycerides so we know that the type of diet you've advocated is true it's correct well the thing is you know you can say a lot of things by manipulating the methods Yes. And deciding beforehand what the results are you want to show in a study. Yes. Uh, but this, this truth that we're trying to share is so basic that you can verify it from your religious teachings, the Bible, the Quran. Yes. You can verify it by being a, uh, a worldly person, just seeing that around the world up until recently, the only fat sick people outside of starvation were those who lived in Western cultures. You know, all you have to do is open your eyes and you can see this. You can read um, novels from the past. They talk about rich food making people fat and sick. You can, uh, you know, you can be a traveler. You can watch it. Uh, you, know, you can watch documentaries. I mean, it's a very simple concept. Uh, and regardless of what the Fredrickson or any other researcher showed that might have confused the population, 
believe me, that wasn't their intention, but the public wants to be confused. The public wants to hear good news about their bad habits. So if they can take some valid research and turn it into something that supports what they already do, that's the tendency. A few months before Atkins died in a public forum, actually here in Orange County at the Hilton, I asked him, how do you explain the virtual absence of cardiovascular disease and diabetes and cancer in an Asian population eating principally rice and in many cases, you know, most of their diet, particularly the poor, are eating rice and vegetables. And he looked at me and he looked at the audience and he says, rice is the exception. Had he ever told anyone that rice was the exception at any uh, public forum ever? I mean, you, you talked with uh, uh, Robert yeah, Atkins, didn't uh, you? I was involved with Robert Atkins in the USDA nutrition debate of the century. Yeah. And um, I knew Robert Atkins. I actually had him on my radio show twice. Yes. I asked to be on his radio show and he said, no, but you'll confuse my listeners. <laughs> so I never appeared on his show, but I had him on my show. And uh, you have a copy of that on your website? Actually, it's probably got burnt out. No, I think it's on the website. Oh, uh, one of his to, interviews. I would love to. One watch of the interviews that. I did with uh, Atkins is on the website. The other one isn't. Yeah. So um, anyway, Robert Atkins uh, played the people's desire to lose weight fast, mm-hmm. not permanently, not to get healthier. Yeah. He lied all the time. Yeah. He said, he went on Larry King, he said he had no coronary disease. I got the uh, angiograms from his wife after he died. Yes. And they showed extensive atherosclerosis. Correct. So he was not, he was not bombed by the truth. Uh, looking at the guy, when we did the debate, the USDA, I told my wife Mary when I was preparing my presentation, I said, at about this point of the debate, Atkins is going to say his diet is so effective and uh, so easy to do that everybody should be doing it. And I told Mary, I said, at that point, I'm going to say, okay, Dr. Atkins, if it's so effective and easy to do, will you stand up and take off your coat and show us? But Mary said you shouldn't do that. It was too embarrassing. <laughs> the guy was 60 pounds overweight. Yes, always. he always, he, he wore a suit that it was always, he had a button it further ahead because the so, belly was so you know, big. If you want to buy into a liar. Yeah. Who, uh, I don't know. I have mean, you debated any of the current keto people? Uh, no, I've not debated. Well, I don't. I don't believe so. Because um, I know there's out there. I've written a uh, lot about them. Yes. So certainly, I put out the invitation. Yeah. There's Thomas Delore. There's uh, Eric Berg. There's Josh Axe. There's uh, a number they of guys can, out there. They're, they're, Pseudoscience. These are, these are all new to me. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm still dealing with the old ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, There's uh, a website, plantpositive.com. I'm not sure who put that website up, but he did a good job of dismantling all of the keto well, arguments. I did a, uh, a video which played, you can see it on YouTube. I'd love to. Uh, first, is, um, it's about the low-carb versus high-carbohydrate gurus. And what I show is I show pictures of Sally Fallon and Lauren Cordain and yep. Robert Atkins yep. and Barry Sears. Oh, I love that. I just look at them. They're obese. I did see that talk, yeah. yes. And then I showed our team, Neil Bernard. You know, I could have showed Nathan Pritik and myself, you. I could have shown. Yeah. Our team looks good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that play, it never got any criticism. It's been viewed by hundreds of thousands of people. You know, they, they, I'm sure a lot of people thought, well, he's not being politically correct. But I'm not out to win a popularity contest. No, no. So, um, <laughs> I love it. You know, 
I think these diets are appealing to people because they fail, like Jimmy Moore. He's an excellent example. I don't know if you know Jimmy Moore. Oh, he's you know, one of the low-carb proponents. Okay. And he's probably 300 pounds overweight. Oh, my gosh. Brother died of a dietary disease that I heard about. Uh, these people, if you listen to them on the radio, they sound articulate. Yes. They sound good. But show their pictures. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think let, let's be fair to the perspective of, you know, a lot of mothers are used to raising kids and, and they think they need to be chubby. And then chubby as a child sometimes becomes chubby as a teenager and as an adult. Yeah. And when they see someone lean and fit and, you know, I know you used to do uh, uh, windsurfing uh, out in Hawaii. I mean, I, I, there's a picture yeah. of you out there. And, you know, I love to train and work out. And, and so that that look of lean fit, you know, uh, is is foreign. Uh, not not to when you still travel around the world. There's Asian cultures that are still pretty lean and fit, and and they're outperforming us. Their their economies are outperforming us. Their their productivity, their incidence of disease is far lower, but they're getting affected by the Western culture too. Yeah, no, oh yeah, the the Asian, in particular, they're a great example. Yes. But I mean, people from Mexico. Yeah. You know, I mean that, the Mexicans who cross the border and probably now in Mexico. Uh, developed some of the highest rates of diabetes in the world. Whereas when, you know, they live in the rural areas of Mexico, living on beans and corn and squash, I mean, like, there are particular examples, like there's a Tahamar Indian, who have no heart disease, yeah. and that's their diet. Yeah. But Chihuahua, the modern Hispanic, modern Latino is in big trouble. Yeah. Because they've uh, enthusiastically embraced the rich man's diet. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think about the, the fact that someone uh, put out some information that the one saving grace is that the Mexicans are eating a fair amount of beans. They did hold on to that within their culture. And because of that, they seem to have a little bit longer life than most people well, in the U.S. that may be true. Mm -hmm. But we're dealing with the fact that the older population is yeah. still eating the traditional diet. Yeah. It's just like in Hawaii, I was dealing with a whole bunch of uh, older... Japanese and Chinese and Koreans, yeah, and uh, they were healthy, but they skewed the statistics uh, for Hawaii yeah. in the sense that their children and grandchildren didn't learn the traditional diet. And reports like come out like the uh, Hawaiians have the highest rate of cancer of any American population now, uh -huh. and the wow. Filipinos have the highest rate of gout oh. of any population. Now. They live in Hawaii. Yeah that have changed to the Western Western diet. But you still have the older people around to skew the statistics mm -hmm. that say that, you know, just like you said, well, because the Mexicans still eat some beans. Well, that's the old Mexicans. Yeah. The new Mexicans, they get their beans in a cup of grease. Yeah, they used to cook them in, in pots of, of water. I, I, I know my cameraman, who's my in-law, he, he basically had a, a in-law that lived to 100-something eating beans cooked in water. Right, yeah. So, so it you know the history is there. The Koreans, you know, they the Korean barbecue. I think it's confusing because they eat so much meat. But the the poor Koreans, I'll just use that. The the rural Koreans, less economically advantaged. Yeah. So they would tend to eat more rice and vegetables, yeah. like most Asian cultures. True. Yeah. And and the blue zones, right? I mean, there's yeah. always this argument. Well, some of the blue yeah, zones. It's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. That uh, the author of the blue zone. 
Dan Butner. Yeah, Dan. Has become a friend of mine. Okay. And we had a discussion <clears throat> at one of my meetings in Santa Rosa where he was a speaker. And we had breakfast together, and I said, when he talked about, mm, I don't know, there were about eight cultures he'd studied them. Yeah. And he started talking about the different things, which are important, like social interplay and yeah. things like that. And then he realized, at the, even at that time, that the diet was the most important thing. But he didn't realize that starch was the key common ingredient. Oh. And I pointed that out to him, and uh, you know, quite honestly, my impression was this changed everything the way he thought about things because he realized that these were all starch eaters well he, he identified them as nearly vegetarian right but he didn't really hit on this idea that you know you have to have starch to get the calories and each one of them was the starch in a diet it's the blue zones now you're responsible for some of the olympians one of the world's fastest man in yeah, history we had interaction with carl lewis and in his twilight of his career, when his career should have been ending, he was breaking his yeah. own records on a starch-centered diet you taught him. Yeah, we taught him. I mean, we personally taught him. Yes. And uh, he set the world record for the 100-meter dash on our diet. He won three uh, long jump medals that I don't think have been broken. And he won three uh, gold medals Wow. on our program. Yeah. Fabulous. And we had a few other athletes, too, but... And mo most long-distance runners these days, they know the importance of eating the way we do. Arnold there are a few that are descending, you know. Arnold Schwarzenegger has recently oh, come out golly, public talking about plant-based. Yeah. 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 He, he lost his dear friend Franco Colombo to a heart attack. Oh. Uh, I, I heard he was swimming, but I've also heard another story. And then Arnold himself had a heart attack. Oh. So he's, uh, and he, he had a hip replacement. Any association with hip replacements and too much protein oh, during sure. a person's career? All that and also osteoarthritis is a disease of the Western diet. Yes. You look at, uh, for example, in Africa. When I talk about these things, you've got to realize you and I are old. So, <laughs> at least I am. No, no. And, and the research I started studying, like you did, was back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Particularly, yeah. Actually, it was in the 70s and 80s. It was only after 1980 that people really changed their diet worldwide. So when I talk about, you know, the fact that these people were thin and didn't have diseases, and people reference it to what's going on now, they forget the fact or don't associate the fact that everybody's trying to live like Americans, and of course. But the research that was done before 1980 is the only research where you really have uh, differences enough in the way people eat to make comparisons that are meaningful. Yes. In summary, I like to tell people four simple steps, which I believe your program accomplishes this. Detoxify, because all the fiber, the nutrient density, the exercise, uh, nutrification, you get all the vitamins and minerals, fortification, you're getting uh, things that help improve the telomeres, helps improve the, the, the rate of mitochondria, and then the power of the mind. I know you mentioned you're not into the psychology part of it, yet, you know, I think for people to comply, to understand the subconscious yeah. mind, we have to figure out a way to help the people, and those are the steps I help them with, because otherwise, yeah, you have they're to get addicted to, to the foods that they, they've started with. The hardest thing is to have them make the change. Yeah. That's why we named our first book Making the Change. Yeah. We didn't we didn't title it Heal and Stay Healthy. We called it Making the Change. And that was written in nineteen seventy eight.
because we knew back then the problem wasn't whether they get well because they always did the problem is how to get them to do it and that's still a problem I, ch I face you know today I, all my efforts on new ways of doing things are based on how can I get people to not only understand and believe but actually take action yes and change their lives the final thing I want to bring up is it seems to me that the keto to make up for their overly high fat protein diet they have people do intermediate fasting now there's probably a place for fasting for people who, are, who have maybe an autoimmune disease right. and I believe there's a part where you describe and we know True North our friends Dr. Clapper and others what is your true opinion about fasting because well, as you first age, of all I'm not a, I'm not an expert okay so but I do know the True North people really well huh? and of course just being in the quote alternative medicine field I am I've run across people who believe in fasting a lot yeah. And uh, the fasting is the ultimate low cholesterol, low fat diet. Yeah, they did that World War II, right? Okay. I mean, so <laughs> reversed heart you're disease. You're going to get benefits from fasting, but the problem is, is it's by definition temporary and not sustainable. Yeah, you can't you can't starve all the time. So uh, I I don't know that there's any extra healing capacity that occurs when you don't eat. They say it does, but I just don't know. Uh, but I do know it's a great way to change your diet. If you live on water for a week or two, you know, uh, potatoes, Anything potatoes looks good. A rice steak tastes pretty darn good. And that's what they do at True North. They, they start them short periods right. of medically monitored fasting, put them in really calm, quiet, dark, right. and then they transition them to plant-based, essentially right. oil-free, right? Right. They use our program without salt. Dr. John McDougall, this is Dr. Nick Delgado, and it's been a pleasure because you really do answer so many of the things that today's generation has gotten confused again, just like my generation <laughs> did, but it's okay. We don't mind. I never forgot Pritikin would answer person after person after I saw that long line to greet you, and you know, every person, it's a joy to see in their yeah. face that this change has taken place or the enlightenment, mm -hmm. that they really get it, that, oh my gosh, this actually can work for me. Yep. I can enjoy eating food, the taste of food, and just making them in a way that's plain and natural and simple and not go starving and hungry. These people that have been on your program have dropped 100 pounds or more with essentially zero hunger. Or effort, really, once, once you see it, <laughs> it becomes effortless. In fact, to do otherwise becomes painful. You know, it, it, it is painful to have to ask for a seatbelt extender when you get on an airplane. You know, it is painful to feel bad your whole day of life. That's difficult. You know, eating oatmeal is not difficult. You, so, you and I have one more thing in common. You had a, if I may say this, a stroke at a very young yeah, age. I was 18 I, years old. I didn't have as a severe, I had a TIA, I recovered, and it was like that wake-up call, I better do something or I'm going to yeah. die. But you had, you had, yeah, a, I had a massive a, stroke. I lost the whole left side of my body. Yeah. And so for 54 years, I've limped. Yes. And for, for 54 years, I've been uh, not a pretty thing watching, walk, walk going down the ski slopes yeah. or windsurfing. <laughs> but, you know, I've been out there doing it. Yeah, you do. Uh, with a very weak left side. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a, a, an awakening moment for me. It's what caused me to become a doctor. Yeah. Because I got involved in the medical business. Yeah. But it didn't change my diet. No. 
Uh, I didn't know then. Why and leading up to is probably why you had your stroke. Oh, true? definitely. I, my, my parents fed me with the intention of making sure that I would never suffer. And they believed that the only way nutritionally you could get in trouble was not enough protein and calcium. Where, where did you live? As I lived uh, near Detroit. Yeah. Michigan. Wow. So, um, yeah, just we got to fix the misinformation. Yeah. And we have to realize people, people have to realize the urgency. Uh, you know, Nick, I, my whole life, I, I, you know, I've been raised, I was raised as a Christian. Yes. You know, with the end of days coming. Mm -hmm. And this was always such an obscure thing. And even as uh, you know, people started to predict the history of the world, I never thought I'd be involved in the end of the world or be alive. Yeah. But I have to say, you know, the way things are going right now, I may be alive to see the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who think that I'm exaggerating, I think you need to do a little bit of research to understand just how big a trouble we're in. Yeah. And the solution's simple. It's a plant-based, well, whole it's, food it's diet. It's at least one of the things we have to include. I don't know that the solution is simple. Okay. But it's impossible unless we fix food. Food You could give everybody a Tesla today. You could put solar panels on every roof in the world today. Yeah. Unless you fix the food. Because food accounts for over half, maybe up to 70% of the environmental destruction. Until you fix the food, you're not going to solve the 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 planet's destiny and isn't it the animals are outgassing the carbons uh, and worse the water supply has got estrogen dominance yeah, from these animals on the amazon to make pasture land for beef and yeah yeah it's it, it, uh, probably the most extreme reference that i have is that beef is a hundred times more destructive to the environment than potatoes wow yeah so we got to change Thanks, Dr. John McDougall, Dr. Nick Delgado. Be strong, be well. Stay tuned for our next segment. And I can't wait to have Dr. John on again and his words of wisdom, his strength, his consistency, and his passion <laughs> for his wife, his kids, his grandkids to have a future like I want my children to have a future and my grandkids because I've lived long enough now yeah. to see my grandchildren and I never thought you know, it would happen so soon. Really? We, time flies since we first met. Yeah, I think you and I have known each other for 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. Wow. Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. Please give us a review on iTunes and we'll be happy out of the group of reviews to choose a lucky winner of one of our award winning products. It could be Block, Adrenal DMG, Stem Cell Strong or even Power and Speed. We'll ship you a bottle at no cost. You'll enjoy it just from basically giving us a review on iTunes. Also, visit DelgadoProtocol.com. That's DelgadoProtocol.com and take our free hormonal quiz. Looking forward to assisting you to be your absolute best.